You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Friday, and this is the last live. Well, it's actually pre-recorded. The last uh, tell interview. That's <laughs> <laughs> pre-recorded uh, interview of uh, Coffee Hour for the year as we embark on the 12 days of Christmas. Special programming for you over the next 12 days. Well, 12 yeah. plus days of Christmas. You get a couple bonus. But days. excited about the interview that we have today. Uh, we've been talking about hymns, and we're going to be talking about hymns a lot through mm-hmm. the 12 days of Christmas. And so excited to have in studio uh, very well-known hymn writer, modern hymn writer Keith. Hymn writer, including um, it's probably the the most known hymn I bet that you've written is "In Christ Alone." It's been sung by millions of Christians worldwide. Transcends traditional and contemporary circles, and uh, we just stole the title from Martin Luther. Pleasure to have you in his studio. Family, his family are after us. <laughs> the lawyers are coming, getting really upset. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to join us here on the Coffee Hour today. I was honored. To be here. I was literally thrilled to be here in St. Louis. To, and the second last night of our Christmas tour. Second to last night. Wow. And That's our first so our fair. first our first Christmas show in a Lutheran church. Would you believe the same wow. the same concept that started inspired by Martin Luther? And we've been around we've been around every secondary denomination and have finally ascended the hill uh, <laughs> tonight so <laughs> well we are we're we're uh, delighted to have you here in St. Louis and uh and and excited to uh uh, to be so close to your concert here in St. Louis. Now, this is recorded, so by the time everyone's hearing this, it's actually after the fact that the concert has happened. Now, but it's sold out. So. This is true, so I'm trying to get in. Is, <laughs> uh, I, I've heard you come to us from Nashville, but your accent says maybe not a Nashville native. Yes, I you, we're East Tennessee, like as far across as Ireland, perhaps. Yeah, we, my wife and I grew up, <laughs> my wife and I grew up in Ireland, and uh, and then we, uh, we started writing hymns, and then we moved across here, spent a, a, some time in the Midwest, and now we, and now we're based in Nashville, but nine months a year. We go back, to, we still do th- our three months in the summer in Ireland, we... We love how Americans work, and we like how the Irish relax. And <laughs> and so far, we're not convinced that either culture can do the other. We're we're pretty certain the Irish don't work very hard, but we're still the jury's still out whether Americans really relax that much. But uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I've heard that from other people that grew up in other countries. Mm-hmm. Actually, we have longer vacations. Yeah. Like, when I had to talk, explain to our staff that for five, we're all we're, we're digital detox for five weeks, and you can't call us for five weeks consecutive weeks. They they thought we were crazy. I believe it. Yeah, yeah. We thought it was perfectly normal. So. I want to try that. I would. I'm. I'm game. Let's do it. Let's just not come back until February. Sarah manages our social media, so digital detox would be kind of. A that would be fantastic. Difficult. Actually. Well, yeah, that too. Um, but back to hymnody. Um, wh- tell me about a time uh, that that hymns became really important for you. Uh, in your life, gosh, what a, what a wonderful question! I, I I grew up in a in a in a Christian home, so my parents introduced my, my dad was the church organist, my mom was a piano teacher, so I grew up doing music, and they introduced me to cr- music, to Christ, His praise, and uh, and everything from social life to every part of life has always been tied around that. Christmas was tied around that, and so um, as I, in, in my teens, I did start to write. A Christmas piece for the Christmas concert each year at school. That was that was an important thing, hmm. and and that got me the bug for for writing as well. But, but you know, it's always been part. And looking back on it now, more more than I suspect, because most people 
learn the majority of their doctrine, the majority of their Bible verses, and actually the majority of how we digest and process who God is through the songs that we sing. You know, it's, uh, you know, not, not to wish to pander to Luther, given today's audience, but, you know, Luke, when Luther talked about the Reformation of the, of the, through, the, through the preaching and the singing of the Word, he said, as I look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Church Fathers, and, and study the history, it seems that God's people learn their faith significantly through what they sing. In other words, and he, he said the teachers explain the Word, and we carry it out of church through the songs that we sing. It, it's that important. It's that crucial. And so for a parent for a worship leader or for a pastor. The songs that they choose for their congregation are of critical importance, and we have to love those people enough to really make sure that we're choosing wisely. Hmm. What you choose in, in, in terms of planning for worship says what, what you love about, you know, if you love the, the people you serve, that's yeah. what a point. Uh, what hymns have been formative for you. No. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> How much time do you have? Oh, dear, dear, dear. Do you, do you want to go for Christmas carols or do you want to go for hymns? What do you want to go for? <laughs> you. What's been most formative for you? Well, it changes every day. That's the thing. Do you know what I mean? You know, because we should sing to our, we, we sing to ourselves. You know, the Psalms are the Bible song, but 20% of the Bible is songs. Do you know what I mean? Let's remember that, that our, our creator God, who we all believe is sovereign, decided that 20% of his holy book should be songs. So songs are an important part of our daily life. I, I hope they're a... I guess 20% of some part of our day at least. And uh, so, and the Psalms, the Psalms themselves often tell us to sing to ourselves, to remind ourselves of, of these. So today, what am I singing to myself? Well, today I was doing, this morning I did 17 interviews for the BBC, all the local stations, because wow. I, was, I was the designate guy because they're celebrating 100 years of the King's College Cambridge Lessons and Carols. Oh. So they decided because, because of the OBA and everything that happened this year and all the whole, they said, come in and you've got this, you've got, you're, you're trying to make Lessons and Carols famous in America, but with this show. So, so I did 17 interviews and uh, <laughs> I, kept coming, I kept coming back to the fact that 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 this year for me, once in Royal David City is extraordinarily important. You know, yes, it's L- Lutherans word. love it, Anglicans love it, Baptists <laughs> have never heard of it. But um, but you know, I, it's interesting to me. Cecil Francis Alexander is from my home mm-hmm. county in Ireland. I live in County Derry, and so she's from my home county. Her house is actually for sale at the minute, but it's what? just yes, it's about an hour away from where we are. So. Coffee I, I, I don't. Wanna, in Ireland. I know. I don't. Wanna, I don't want to drive an hour for fish and chips, though. That's the problem. So, <laughs> but that's fair. But but interestingly, her husband was the primate of all the Anglican primate of all our uh, the Anglican Archbishop of Derry. Uh, sorry, Anglican Bishop of Derry. Eventually, the primate of all Ireland. But when he went to become Bishop of Derry, she went and, and looked at the Sunday school, and she looked at what the kids were singing. And this is bear in mind, she was born two hundred years ago. So this is probably about one hundred and seventy years ago or so. She looks at what the kids are singing, and she says, "If these are shallow, silly songs, if these kids grow up." singing these songs through their childhood, they will not have a substantial faith, if any faith, in their mm-hmm. adulthood. And so she decided to set, she started to find ways to help children understand the Bible. So she started with the Apostles' Creed, which is what we believe, and she took each phrase and wrote a poem. She was an extraordinary, an extraordinarily gifted poet. So we believe in one God, the maker of heaven and earth. So she writes, maker of heaven and earth, and she writes, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all, and the purple-headed mountain that ever running by. And she, you know, she uses she's this wonderful ability to, to to take all the human senses, like the, the great poets take all the human senses: the purple-headed mountain, the river running by, the sunset in the morning that brightens up the sky, the cold wind in the winter, the pleasant summer sun, the ripe fruits in the garden. You can taste them. You know, he made them. Mm-hmm. But she helps children understand that they're fearfully and wonderfully made. That we have been given these human senses because we're created in the image of God. We have dignity. 
we have meaning, we have we have value, and uh, and so this I, I'm so thankful to her because a generation of kids grew up with this understanding of being fearfully and wonderfully made that that we are, that we have a redeemer, that we have hope, that we are eternal beings, rather than. Uh, the contemporary <clears throat> notion that, that we're this bunch of molecules that if we're lucky, we'll get out of the womb. And if we get that far, frankly, we may as well, you know, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. You know, define yourself whatever way you want. And and actually, hers was so much more profound. But her, her song on incarnation was Once in Royal David City. Um, you know, he became incarnate, was born of a virgin. That was the phrase. And she wrote Once in Royal David City. And so she tells the story as a historical story. And then she gives us the modeling of how Christ's example is an example to us. Then she takes us through the sense of redemption, and then she takes us to heaven. And uh, it's interesting because this year is the 100th anniversary of Lessons and Carols. I, I suspect the reason they started the very first Lessons and Carols service with Once in Royal David City because, was because then it was the 100th anniversary of Once in Royal. Um, but, but it's a beautiful story. It's always sung by a choir boy in the service. And it's cho- you know it's chosen on the day? The choir boys at King's College study the whole year. Mm-hmm. And then that morning, the choir conductor comes in, they all line up, and he goes... And he just goes, he just says nothing, he just points. And one boy has to sing it, walking up the aisle that day. Mm-hmm. So that's how the lessons in carol service begins. And uh, But it, you see, the thing about it is, it, 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 it's, it's the perfect overture to the lessons in carol service. You know, it's the perfect concert overture because it tells you the whole story. Like the old theatre overture used to play you all the tunes, mm-hmm. you know, to give you the theatre. Mm-hmm. So, and you get this wonderful sense of eternity. And it's so important at Christmas because many of us are thinking of, of death, of, of legacy, of future. And it... And like the great hymns, it reminds us of eternity. Less than 10% of, of modern worship songs mention heaven, hell, eternity, or any of that. And uh, so so we have that. And of course, there's the wonderful David Wilcox desk camp, not in that poor lowly stable. Do you like that desk camp? I love that desk camp. Isn't it amazing? It's so good. Do you get really annoyed when people do other desk camps? Yes. So, <laughs> All the time. ruins my Christmas. Right? ruins my Christmas every time. <laughs> if you're out there, don't write your own desk camp. I Use don't care if you get $2 copyright for it. Don't do it. <laughs> So, I like this um, guy. but um, so yeah, so so that that's my favorite. So, so it's our twentieth anniversary. Um, it's Irish. It tells the whole gospel story. It's amazing music. It starts the lessons in carol service. We're starting the second half of our concert tonight. Is there any more reason? Is there any more reason to love once in Royal David City? It is. Oh, it's fantastic. There's so many things that I want to talk about now. <laughs> We scheduled uh, a two-hour interview, right? I hope yeah. so. What time's leadership lunch at? As long as I'm back for leadership lunch, I'm here for as long as you want. So, uh, um, what has uh, what has influenced you the most as a hymn writer? My wife. Wow. Okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I think my wife influences me the most every day. I think that's why it should be. Um, I, I think, in terms of vision for hymns, there were three things and. I was interestingly looking back. I was never that clever at school, but there was always three things I was conscious of that, that church music should have. One is one is we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's what the scriptures, the scriptures and the psalms. I mean, people talk that there's there's, there's short songs, there's long long psalms. They're all different. They're all different uh, poetic models. So there's there's no there's no formal model of writing of of writing church music that is godly and all the rest aren't. That's the, the psalms debunk that. But the Psalms, on average, are still four times as long as I am. Do you know what I mean? So, mm. so the, the Word of Christ should dwell in us richly. I wanted to sing deeply about the Lord. You know, I wanted to, I, I wanted to to eat the words and to grow up and allow them to, to fuel my imagination, my mind, my my memory bank, my prayers, my language, my feelings, my emotions, my actions, my reactions. Um, secondly. 
Um, I, I do believe that that, 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 that that they should be as creative and as beautiful as possible. We have a creative God who, to be ridiculous, I was reading this week, he didn't just he didn't just make the insect a beetle. He made 300,000 types of beetle because he's a creative God. And so we must, we must uh, as, as certainly as evangelical Christians or, 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 or confessional Christians of any kind, we must stop... We must stop debunking creativity. We are known throughout our culture today as being boring people. And there is nothing about the God of the Bible or what he modeled in Scripture that said we should ever have ended up that. We should have been the most creative, the most innovative, the most, uh, the most uh, imaginative people, the most joy- and, and by extension, the most joyful. Uh, and the third thing was, was that, was that the, the, the holy act of God's people singing is exactly that. We want every generation singing together. You know, when we go to church on Sunday, what's the music like in church? The music primarily is God's people singing. The secondary music is how you accompany God's people singing. And the third level music is all the extra music that we use to support and and beautify our services, which is still of extraordinary importance. But it's not what, what, what we're commanded to do, what we're created to do, what the gospel forces us to do as God's people is to get together to sing. That's the gold medal. So that's the three things, theology, artistry, singing. And uh, so, so, uh, and so, since since even the early hymns, like in Christ Alone, through to the Sing Conference, through to things like the the, the Christmas concert tonight, all of those things, uh, and indeed that's probably why Lessons and Carols inspires me because it embodies the three so so beautifully, um, are, are really what it's all about. I think we have more to learn from Keith Getty, modern hymn writer. Stick around. You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. <laughs> You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart, to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are talking with hymn writer Keith Getty. I should say hymn writer and recording artist. No, uh, no don't no. bother. No. No? <laughs> just, just leave it. <laughs> Uh, probably best known for In Christ Alone, but uh, a ton of other hymns as well and, and great uh, great music. And we're recording in studio. Uh, Getty's in town for a concert this week and uh, just delighted to have time to, to talk with Keith about the, their great music. Uh, before we went to break, we um, we all I think got a little geeked out about the the great hymns that 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 have been an important part of your life. Are you calling you... me a geek or a nerd? I'm sorry. Well, Sarah I self mean, identifies as a hymn nerd. I do. So, it's true. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, so we yeah we talk about I hymns all the time on the coffee hour. We talk for hours about them. We could, but we limit it to twenty four minutes. Which so it's really hard. So that was like that was like half my last segment. Wasn't it? Was like, <laughs> but we we brought up congregational singing yeah, and yeah. and what is important to you in congregational singing. Why is congregational singing important today? Why is this important as Christians gather, you know, mostly on Sunday mm-hmm. mornings? So why is why is congregational singing important? <laughs> but, but C.S. Lewis, the, the the apologist from my hometown of Belfast, used to used to say anything that is not of eternal value is eternally out of date. <laughs> so to say to say why is singing important today is, is why is it always important? And uh, I guess uh, for, forgive my forgive my slightly Presbyterian way of, of always having three points that begin with the same letter. But uh, the Lutherans always have three points with the same letter. No, is that a Presbyterian thing? I don't think so. Not no, the I same up, letter. I grew yeah. up no. Presbyterian. That's what we do. And but but we are you know first of all we're commanded to sing. It's it's actually the second most common command in Scripture to sing. And if you add extol, exalt, praise, and all the other derivative words that that can mean sing then it's, it's the most common command in Scripture. So in other words, to, to, to sing and indeed not to sing would be, would be disobedience. It's, it's, it's spiritual activity. It's a command of God, a very, and indeed a very, very important command of God. Uh, secondly, we're created to sing. All of us, God has made to sing, some of us with, with extraordinary ability and st- some of us with extraordinary inability. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's, what, is, what is obvious from Scripture is that, that God really doesn't mind and that God hears us all and that... The, the, the confessional ability is, is, is infinitely more important than the professional ability, so to speak. Uh, and thirdly, that the gospel of Jesus compels us to sing. When we read something about God in the Bible, we respond. it responds by, and I will sing. The Psalms continually do it. When God's people are made new, they sing. I remember watching the video of the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York and a, guy, and a guy who was basically left for dead in the streets of Brooklyn through a crack cocaine addiction singing the song, I'm clean, I'm clean, I've been washed in the blood with tears streaming down his face, lives transformed um, by the incredible gospel of Christ. And so and so that's what happens when people are, well, we sing most of all because of Jesus, because we're commanded to sing, because we're created to sing, but most of all because Jesus compels us to sing. So we've talked about uh, singing as a congregation and, and, and how we use uh, what we sing to, to teach the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that translate into uh, singing as a family? Sure. And singing at, at home. Right. Well, I think I think singing. It's, it's a wonderful question. Singing does does uh, it, 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 it affects every part of life. So if we think of it as concentric circles all the time, it, it, it affects the four concentric circles of influence. It affects us. It affects our families. It affects our churches, and that affects the wider community around us or perhaps even even further in the world. And uh, so we talked about how it affects us as individuals. But I think, honestly, when we think about the role in the family, that gets me even more scared because it lets me see how much the last two generations have drifted away from, from historicity. Um, uh, the New England Puritans uh, were the f- probably the biggest uh, church planters in the first century of, of America. And... Uh, and a lot of those groups would have had a principle, for example, that a man doesn't take the Lord's Supper on a Sunday if he doesn't pray and sing with his children every day. Hmm. Now, having a job is not a disqualification. Um, not taking your kids out at the weekend isn't a disqualification. Social interaction, being a fun guy, they're not disqualifications. But and their, their, their argument was, and I, so I think it's maybe an overreach, but either way, their argument was that 
This is the core thing that you have to do. So if you're neglecting that, you've no business taking communion. And I, I remind myself every single night when I go on stage, before I say goodbye to my girls every day, you know, if I haven't spent time with my girls, with the word, singing the word, mm-hmm. teaching them the word, praying with them that day, I have no business. I have no business being on stage. Similarly, a worship leader in a church, a pastor, you know, they are Sunday school teacher. You have no business doing that if it doesn't begin in the home. Um, so it's hugely important. I remember once meeting the, uh, you know, the, the Christian writer, uh, John MacArthur, you may have heard of him, does a study, but very, very uh, strict kind of leader. And I was meeting him and he, I was asking him a question about, I asked him a question just randomly about, about kids. I said, any advice on raising kids? Just to see what he'd say. And he goes, it actually begins a lot with the songs you fill your home with. He didn't begin with doctrine, discipline, church life, education, rules, some homeschool movement, nothing. It was actually... You, you, you fill your homes with songs. Where life happens, you fill your homes with songs of the Lord. We talked about Cecil Francis Alexander. Well, for, for, so for our home, uh, practically, what does that mean practically? Well, for every home, it's different. You know, for our girls, there's a few things we do. Number one, we try to sing a hymn every night before they go to bed at night. We do the same hymn for a month. Mm-hmm. So I just ever know people go, so how do you teach that? We walk upstairs with our daughters. We tell them to brush your teeth. We tell them to get into bed. Then we sing the hymn. You know, it's not it's not rocket science. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know, and so we just sing it. Sometimes we put sometimes we put the iPad on and sing it to the iPod. Sometimes we just sing a cappella. But we just do the same hymn. If they're really tired, we just do one verse. If they're really good mood, they do three verses. And if they are wanting to can't sleep, Kristen will sit down with them and just talk about each line. And as the month goes on, she'll get to talk about every single line and what it means and use it as chances to explain things. But the, pro- the point is, our girls have got this canon of songs that is helping them understand God better. I, I can't be sure where their lives are going to go in life, but I can at least know that we're faithfully implanting the word in with them. And um, we also use, I mean, the iPhone is probably the single biggest destructive tool in Christian families today and what it has done to marriages and, and, and children in Christian homes. And and it, it's tragic when you think about it too long, but but it can be used as an object of redemption because you can actually create your own playlists. Mm-hmm. You know, Sunday mornings we do like we do like a, a scripture song dance party with our girls. We just like get all our favorite, you know, first John 4, 7 and all these kind of songs. And we just go around the house and just do those and just have fun with that. And and at Christmas, you know, by all means, play Michael Bublé's album. It's an amazing, it's an amazing album. It's an amazing <laughs> album. Do you know what I mean? Play your favorite Christmas music, your old Christmas hits, play your Sinatra's big band, all enjoy it all. But fill your home also with the hymns that you want your kids to grow old with. These carols mm-hmm. that explain the explain the gospel as well. And so, you know, you know, next year we're doing a lot more. We have a lot more deliberate music education set up for our kids, but we've our kids are up to seven and a half, and up to now it's just been about making sure that they see us delighted in singing. You know, it's so important. You know, somebody says, "What what are the best songs for your kids?" I, and I, I nearly always lean on, "Whatever song you love." If I love a song, my kids are going to love the song. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that they see us. We had to make a decision two years ago: would we get more involved in our local church, doing week by week music? And at that point, we made a decision to be to be more of an emeritus kind of advisor to the musicians in our church, sort of a consultant to the pastor and the music director, and let them lead. One of the reasons was we wanted our kids to know that they saw us every Sunday in church singing at the top of our lungs with all our being, and that it was actually more important to us than Liverpool Football Club and the Irish rugby team, which are both very important <laughs> to me, believe me. Uh, that, 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 that this more important that more important than answering our phone is answering the call to worship and, and to sing. And uh, so I think those kind of things, you know, have helped us. What do you think? What do I think? Yeah. I think it's super important to yeah. sing as a family. And I think children uh, can 
learn hymns very easily and and love them too. There's no greater uh, joy for me than uh, just last night at uh, Advent services, just this week mm-hmm. at Advent services, my five-year-old son singing uh, his favorite hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. And, and just hearing him sing it, you know, with, uh, yeah. well, not very loudly. He doesn't sing very loudly, but, you know, with, with gusto as well. But the, the point is that is futuristic. Mm-hmm. And this is where our churches are really missing the point. You know, if we actually are wanting a vision for the future, we want to do things that outlast us. Do you know what I mean? You know, O Come, mm-hmm. Come Emmanuel is a melody that's over a thousand years old. It will be around when you and I are no longer doing radio and doing music. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It sounds obvious, but yet our churches are putting so much stock on trying to be cool when the cool stuff is going to be dead in two years' time. Do you know what I mean? The cool stuff will only show you, will only demonstrate how uncool you are in three years' time. So I, I, I think it's so important. Mm-hmm. You know that we that we that it's why art is important and people aren't engaging in this conversation enough. And we, we want to build on things that last, you know, and not just in the music, but on these on these hymns as well. I, 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 we, all, we, we remind ourselves, too, because it's a struggle for us, you know, all the things you do with your kids, the parties, the Saturday, after, Saturday afternoon go around in your car and all the things that you do and all the things you want them to see. And yet by 20, most of it will be forgotten. By 30, 90, 95% of it will be forgotten. And in terms of eternity, it's all dust. And so it's so important that we invest time in our children and we ask ourselves, as we're planning for next year, this Christmas, as we're planning for what we're going to do over Christmas with our time with our kids, and as we're planning for next year, to really build time in to sing with our families. Hmm. Speaking of hymns and songs with, I know we only have a couple of minutes left, just to, about three minutes left, uh, hymns that have content that, uh, well, that transcend time, in a mm-hmm. sense, uh, and that will last. Um, in stanza two of In Christ Alone, there's a, a line that... There <laughs> we go. <laughs> he knows what's coming. He does. Uh, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. You don't hear that in every, uh, you know, it, well, in the, the popular Christian songs today. Um, tell me about that, the the story of, uh, of writing that and... Uh, did you wrestle with that? With that well, text? it was Stuart Townend did the lyric just to be just to be absolutely clear. We were we were in mm-hmm. it together, we we're in it together. But that was his lyric. But to, to give him the credit, but the reason we did it was because he wanted to tell the whole story. You know, there, I, I want to say two or three real quick things. First of all, first of all, the Psalms give us the whole picture of God. When you think about your worship, your family's worship, and your church's worship, authentic worship is an authentic picture of God. I grew up singing songs, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever, Psalm 136. And there were these kind of changes that sounded like washing up liquid commercials or really cheesy, really kind of kind of, kind of like suspiciously, inauthentically happy. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but the problem with them were they had to only do the happy verses in the Psalms. The Psalm is about his love endures forever and it's verses about, you know, who, who killed the firstborn in the land. And this kind of thing was what the Psalms are. It goes through God throughout history and how he redeemed his people because eternity is all that matters. And they had to leave all those verses out and just pick the verses that made them feel happy. And that's actually inauthentic. But we're doing that in our services all the time by constantly picking things that make only make us feel bouncy and happy and giddy, which and and it's 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 inauthentic, and it's and it is no wonder the media criticizes for having, you know, simplistic answers to difficult questions. We deserve it sometimes. Secondly, the gospel, the the gospel story, 
is is the best witness to all our friends. You know, that was written, we got, the first time that came out, it got, it got blasted because of the seeker-sensitive movement. Because people said, you're not being sensitive to seekers by having that in the service. But that song was witness to the gospel of more services, more weddings, more funerals, than, than everything else I've done in my life put together. If we're going to care for the gospel, we have to tell the whole story. We have to tell the truth. And... Uh, and th- and thirdly, we we you know most of the criticism, the, the thing blew up obviously as you know in the media uh, five years ago with the Washington Post, and even the Economist did an article on us because of this, and uh, because of the criticisms of the song. But I, the, it was not it was not it was not written to it was not written to ignite controversy. It was written simply to explain the the, the gospel story. And so we we've kind of felt that if you sing the song, you should leave it in. Um, to understand the whole thing. And did you notice that you didn't get an argument from the Lutherans? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were lucky. <laughs> because of that line, we, we but were But it was, it was it. amazing. It, was, it, it went to the secular media because the, the liberal, liberal denominations called us promoting divine child abuse was the phrase they used. And that then sparked up the national mm. debate. And so, and so it was, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it was slightly crazy because there, the, the doctrine that we're talking about actually was, is, is actually in over 30 of the hymns in their hymn book anyway. So, mm. you know, it was a it was a peculiar thing that they, it was a peculiar thing. But just because in a modern hymn we used the word "wrath of God," what can we expect from the Gettys in 2019? We are almost out of time. Gosh, um, well, you know what? This, you know, we we continue. We we are our work is really a team now. It used to be it used to be you know Chris and I were writing hymns to the modern church and trying to be our best stewards of them we could. With the sing movement, we're very much now the CEO or the leader of a large organization of writers. So we have a team of writers who are writing extraordinary hymns, and we're, we get a, we're privileged to be part of that. And I'm making a lot of mistakes, but the team are doing an extraordinary job. The Sing Conference, we'd encourage people to come to next summer. We'll have the Lutherans there. The LCMS will be there in, in, in force. And to really this, to encourage this reformation, this renewal of congregational singing, Bible, theology, and artistry. Bible, artistry, and uh, biblical theology, artistry, and, and singing. And uh, and uh, and then of course we'll be continuing with many other projects we're involved in. We're so excited about it all. We're so excited about helping educate the next generation, inspire the next generation. I'm privileged to be with you guys and partner with them. Thank you so much for being here today, Keith Getty, uh, hymn writer. Oh, thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour. Always a pleasure. Anytime I'm in St. Louis. <laughs> I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. God's blessings. This wraps up the Coffee Hour for 2018. Yeah. Well, see you in 2019. See you next year. <laughs> The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Anywhere.